would you take your Bibles with me to go to John, back in John. We'll be in chapter 8 this morning. We'll be in verses 1 through 11. I was encouraged, you know, just in the prayer room. Had a lady come through and say, you know what? My family was in church today for the first time in years, and and exactly what they needed to hear is what God had on the plan for the day. And I just, I was just encouraged. And other things, just other confirmations and just, God's timing is always impeccable. I know that. And um, I know God has something for all of us today from his word. So if you're there this morning, say amen. amen. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. The Bible says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground, and his fingers, with his fingers, excuse me, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up, he saw no one but the woman. He said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No, Lord, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The text that we're going to, of course, unpack today, John chapter 8, is a controversial text. Uh, some of the early manuscripts do not show this story here in the text. And, and there's theologians on both sides of this who believe that it was an added story that came in later on or, or that it was somewhere else within the Gospels. And However, I, I truly believe that God placed it here for a reason. Of course, we're at the tail end. The, the tabernacle, the Feast of the Tabernacle had just ended. And Jesus, of course, was in the midst of all that was going on there. And, and it was causing a stir, as he always did. And But we see in the beginning of chapter 8, Jesus, he goes apart. He, he detaches himself for a while. He would minister, and then he would detach himself. He would go away to be with the Father. And we, we find out that in this instance, he went to the Mount of Olives and I want to encourage someone this morning that one day he's going to return to the Mount of Olives. He's going to, he's going to ascend, uh, he, well, excuse me, he's going to descend. He ascended up to, from the Mount of Olives and he's going to descend one day, I think soon, to the Mount of Olives. But Jesus had a few spots where he would, uh, get apart along with the Father. He would spend time with his Father. He would recharge his spiritual battery. You know, I'm, I'm encouraged because the Bible says in many instances that Jesus became weary at times. He was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And there were seasons where he had to just uh, just disappear. He had to go and be with the Father. And I want to encourage each and every one of you, we are in a season in this country, in our lives, most of us, I would say, where there are a lot of things that seemingly are draining us that are causing us to feel spiritually exhausted, that are causing us uh, maybe to lose a little sleep. But I'm telling you, uh, it is all solved when we sit at the feet of Jesus, when we go apart with Him and get along with Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I uh, meet Him there, He's always ready for me. You know, He doesn't have to sleep. He's not weary. He doesn't need uh, me to make an appointment. He, I, Whenever I come into His presence, He's there. And I'm telling you, every time that I'm in His presence, oh, there's a there's a strengthening from the inner man that takes place that his spirit will come upon me have any of you been there where you just you didn't have anything else but when you went to Jesus he strengthened you well Jesus he set that example he fellowships with the father 
you know, I was thinking about this, you know, as we were singing, uh, when the disciples asked him to teach them, he didn't ask, they didn't ask that Jesus would teach them how to preach. They asked that he would teach them how to pray. See, Jesus prayed, and that's where his power lied. That's where he would get in the presence of God, he'd get along with the Father, and he'd be strengthened. So we see Jesus comes before he's going to go into this next season of ministry. He he goes apart for, the Bible doesn't tell, maybe it was a, just one day or a few days, but we pick it up in verse number 2. The Bible says, now early in the morning he came to the temple. He came again to the temple. So Jesus makes his way to the center of worship, the temple there. And uh, right away, of course, the crowd is assembling. Uh, whenever Jesus showed up, uh, of course, he would draw people to himself. He had the law of attraction. He he was, of course, uh, the God-man, and people were intrigued by the way he spoke, the way he moved, the miracles he performed. And because of the fullness of the Holy Spirit in him like no other human before him, Jesus drew people to him. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And I'm, I'm telling you, this is so true. Uh, Jesus was always drawing folks to them. And I want to tell you guys something. When you got saved, you were also indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. And you too, if you walk in the Spirit, if you walk in the anointing of God, people will be drawn to you as well. I've been, you know, in situations where it just seemed like God put me there and, and, and it was a divine appointment and, and God would draw people, uh, and draw me to people and lead in that. And I'm telling you, the, that, that attraction comes from the Holy Spirit. It's not necessarily us. There's nothing good in us, but the Holy Spirit of God. And Jesus would draw the crowds. Anytime a crowd would come, he would take the opportunity to teach. He'd open the scripture. He'd, he'd, he'd expound on the truth. And uh, this is no different. He's here. He's teaching the people. And um, I just want to step back a moment and just talk about that anointing a little more. As I study history, and as we press in, you know, we're pressing in. We're asking God to revive this church, this nation. We're, we're, we're seeing that the need is greater than it has been in a very long time for Christians to be on fire for God again. And um, I've learned this, that that anointing, that unction, that that attractiveness that comes from the Holy Spirit, it, it is it comes at a high price tag. And as we were singing a moment ago, we uh, we should not be afraid to pay the cost because it will be worth it. Are we willing to to do the work to press in the God to for the anointing? Uh, you know, it was uh, I was thinking about, I was reading about. Uh, a preacher by the name of his last name is McShaney. Um, he died in his early 20s, and, uh, 26 or 27. And, and it was said that he was so anointed, he was so filled with the Spirit, that just him walking to the pulpit, people would just start weeping. He spent out minimum 8 to 10 hours a day in prayer. He, 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 he was a, a man who had been broken. He had many, he had health issues, he had other things that... That plagued him, but it, it drew him to a deeper walk with God. I was reading about Amy Carmichael a little while ago and how she, uh, of course, on the mission field of India, she got ill and she was to the point where she had to be bedridden. But her ministry thrived more so when she was confined to the bed because she spent that time in prayer and fellowship with God. She was confined to that bed and she didn't let that stop her from pressing into God. And so God used her to reach many uh, thousands and thousands in India. And I'm telling you today, what's missing today in the church is many women who are willing to pay that steep price. Yes, it may be steep, but we're still talking about these people and how they changed the world that they lived in. And why? Because they pressed into God. They were willing to pay the price for the anointing. We can't get people to come to an 830 prayer meeting. I was a little, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if this is me being frustrated. I know it's time change Sunday. I know it's 11 o'clock crowd, so. <laughs> but I was hoping, you know, today, you know, that there would be more in the prayer meeting because we moved it from 6 to 8.30. So I'm, I'm, I'm expecting, you know, oh, okay, we're going to see more people. Not so. Same amount of people. The same people who are hungry. And it doesn't matter. You see, we still 
as Christians in America, we still aren't there yet. We still are not hungry enough. We have not been broken enough. What more do we have to see? Some of you are frustrated. I know when you went to fuel up this week, you were frustrated. (laughs) But we aren't broken yet. And I'm telling you guys, until we get broken, people aren't going to be attracted to us. We're not going to be filled with the Spirit. We're going to be filled with frustration, filled with being annoyed with what's going on. We're going to be uh, filled with all other things. Our flesh will rule. And I'm telling you, people don't want that. This is why the world isn't knocking down the doors to be around Christians. Because the average Christian is is not filled with the Spirit. They're filled with themselves and and they're egotistical and and they know it all and they have have this high view of self. And I'm telling you, this is why where we're at, partly, partly, I believe. Jesus, he drew people to him. But that wasn't in the notes. I just wanted to share that. But this morning we're going to unpack these. And I wanted you to see first this morning the conspirator's trap. Trap, excuse me. The conspirator's trap. Look at verse number three. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery and set her in the midst. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? The scribes and the Pharisees had, had conspired a plan to catch Jesus. Nicodemus had exposed their lack of Evidence, real evidence against Jesus in the verses prior. Uh, they condemned and they wanted Jesus arrested and killed, but they had no charges that they could stick to him. And so now they were going to conspire and come together and make a plan to trap Jesus. And they were in agreement to do so. And as they laid the trap, they thought that they had Jesus cornered. They, they took time to, to develop this, obviously. Uh, they needed someone to uh, be caught in sin, and, and, and this is what they did. They, they found, the Bible says, a woman who was in the act of adultery. And, you know, this seems very fishy to me because there's a few reasons why. You see, the likelihood of them catching them in the act is very unlikely. Number one, the, the Pharisees didn't spend much time around common folk. They were high-minded. They were prideful people. They didn't want to be around the regular people a lot. They they only accepted invitations to certain places. And, and I'm telling you, this was a setup, no doubt. And so not only that, but where was the man? Why did they just bring the woman? Why is it that they singled her out when the law was clear that both parties in adultery were to be brought before the people and stoned? So this was a conspiracy that was obviously corrupt. And they brought this woman, and they treated her very cruelly. They, they put her right in the midst of the people at the temple. Could you imagine the shame this woman felt? And I've learned this to be true. Prideful, religious people, they don't care how they treat others. Because they are high and they're above, they're high-minded, because they're filled and lifted up with pride, they look down on everyone else and they treat them Likewise, and and I, I want you to see their cruel treatment was indi- indicative of their hearts, their cold hearts towards people. And I'm telling you, you can't tell me that you love God if you don't love people. You can't tell me that you're close to Jesus if you don't love sinners. <laughs> because Jesus loves sinners. And this is why they conspired this specific trap for him. They knew Jesus was merciful. They knew he loved the seemingly unlovable. And these Pharisees, they didn't care what or who they would harm to move their agenda to get Jesus caught up. I've learned this. When we're filled with pride too, we use the truth as a weapon. We, we use it to hurt people rather than to help people. 
And many people wield the Bible and the truth of the Word of God like a hammer to, to, to hit people over the head with it. No grace in the truth. They don't speak the truth in love. And this is what these men, this was their MO. This, was, this is how they handled this woman cruelly. And I just want to encourage us, church, may this always be a place where sinners feel welcome. I don't care what the sin is. We don't single out one sin worse than the other. This should be a place where people don't feel alienated because of sin. Because the truth is we are all sinners and we've all been saved by the grace of God, those of us in here who know Christ. And and there's no one in here on a high horse. And I'm telling you, the the level of the ground at the foot of the cross is very level. We all had to go to that cross to be saved. So there should be no pride in us. These religious leaders, they allowed their knowledge of the word to puff them up, to to make them, their religious performance made them seem like they were better than others. So they bring this woman, they, they, they spill all of her business on the streets and they accuse her. And then look at Jesus' response. The Bible says that Jesus didn't listen. He, I mean, he didn't respond. But verse number six, he talks. It talks about their motives. I want you to see they, this. They said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as he did not hear. I want you to notice Jesus' posture here. He was the only perfect one there. He knew everything about everyone. He knew the truth better than anyone. Of course, he was the word in the flesh. But you notice his posture? He stoops to the ground. He begins to write. He's not swift to judge. He's not anxious to drop the hammer on this woman. He's merciful. The religious leaders were the opposite. Some have speculated what, have, what was Jesus writing on the ground there, some have said the Ten Commandments. That would have been very fitting. Because the truth is, we've all broken them. <laughs> and those men too. Because Jesus, of course, he came to expose and to, uh, and to show the law, fulfill the law. And he would later, of course, teach that those who even looked at a woman lustfully was guilty of adultery. Those who hated his brother was guilty of murder. And so Jesus stoops down and he writes on the ground. Now this trap that they said it was, it was one that they thought was bulletproof. You see, because if Jesus said yes, then to, yes to stoning this woman, then it would affect his reputation as a friend of sinners. The common folk would have probably left or rejected his message moving forward because he came preaching a message of grace and forgiveness. Or if he were to say, no, do not stone the woman, then he would openly be breaking the law. Now, I want you to understand the law was the law, and it was the law that someone caught in adultery was, were to be stoned. And this woman seemingly was guilty. And, and I want you to understand something. We can't dumb down the law of God. We can't Preach a gospel that makes the law or the, the word of God easier to accept. We've got to keep the standard very high. And the reason being, because you know what the purpose of the law is? It's to point people to grace. To, under, to allow us to understand that none of us can meet the standard. We all fall short of the glory of God. And so this, Jesus was not going to contradict the truth. Nor was he going to condemn this woman. I want you to understand that this morning. We're going to see it in just a moment. Because he loves sinners. Aren't you thankful Jesus loves sinners? I still cry when I hear the gospel preached. I still cry in worship songs when it talks about the amazing grace of God who saved a wretch like me. You see, I was like these religious leaders just a few years ago. High-minded, heady prideful, critical of everyone, affected my marriage, affected my parenting, affected my relationships and with my family. No one really wanted to hang around me. Isolated myself, thought I was better than someone else. 
until God had to break that. He had to bring me to the end of myself. I had to fail miserably for him to show me who I was. And I just want to tell it to someone in here today. If you're on that road of pride, if you've, uh, you've gotten some knowledge, some wisdom, as far as the Word of God, and you've, you've gotten on your high horse, oh, don't get too high-minded for God. Don't get too pride-filled so that God can't uh, work in you and through you. Oh, pride will destroy you, and it's so subtle. We're, we're blinded to it in our own lives. We can see it in other people from a mile away, but oh, it creeps into our lives. That pride of, of thinking we're better than someone, or, or not, maybe not even vocalizing but just being in our in our attitudes and the way that we uh, we interact with people. Oh, I know there are people in this room. You isolate yourself. You won't go to certain parts of town because you don't even want to rub shoulders with some of those people in those lives of sin. And I'm telling you, you're wrong. Your attitude is wrong. If you saw yourself the way that Jesus, uh, the way we truthfully are, the way that we are sinners who fall short of the glory of God. Oh, you could be around any sinner. There's no one who's not good enough to be in your presence when you understand who you are we turn our noses up to people with certain sin I remember God was trying to teach me this early on in ministry I remember knocking on the door of a woman and uh, her name was Helen and and, uh, Helen um, was very open with her lifestyle with me very quickly it was out in Lake L.A. (laughs) I make fun of Lake LA, but God really taught me a lot out in that desert. I remember knocking on her door and just inviting her to church, and she's, you know, she gracefully took the invitation, but she said, you know, I probably won't come. And uh, she, she was kind, and I just, you know, I said, hey, um, sometimes I come through here, you know, and, and is it okay if I just maybe follow up with you? And so every few weeks or so, I, I check in with Helen and. We begin to develop a, a friendship, and she opened with, up with me about her lifestyle, that she was living in a same-sex relationship. And, um, you know, you know, it just broke my heart for her. You know, sin is sin. I'm, I'm, I'm just as heartbroken for, for someone in this room who's sleeping with your boyfriend, you know, outside of, you know, marriage, who, who's caught in, you know, alcoholism or whatever it may be. Sin is sin, and sin always ravages I've seen the the remains of what sin does. I've seen the end of it, you know. The, but anyhow, I began to develop a, a relationship with her. My wife, you know, from time to time would, would come with me and we would just try to, to win Helen to Christ. That was our heart. She began to open up more and more and she, she told me about the fact uh, that her, 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 her spouse, Pam, uh, has stage four cancer. And um, colon cancer, and that she wasn't given a very good prognosis, and she would never come out and talk with us. Every time that Helen, would, we'd go to Helen, she would step outside, and she was ashamed of the condition of her home. And uh, anyhow, uh, we we built this relationship, and my wife would cook food, and, and we would over the years we we just it was about a year or so of just trying to you know minister to her. And I'll never forget the day when I came one night, my wife was with me, and we, we visited before, I think it was the Wednesday night Bible study we were having. And, and Pam and uh, Helen and I were talking, and the door opens up behind us, and uh, Pam comes out, and she's about 90 pounds. And uh, she's not doing well. She's moving very slowly. You could tell that she's close to eternity. And I, um, you know, immediately it just impressed upon me, this may be my only opportunity to share the gospel with her. And so I remember just really shaking as I'm opening my Bible and saying, Hey, Pam, you know, it's a pleasure to meet you. You know, we've been praying for you. Can I share with you some good news? I just, I don't know if I'll get another opportunity to talk to you. And I opened the Bible and I shared the, the gospel with her that day. And uh, I asked her, would there be anything, Pam, that would stop you from receiving Christ? And she said, no, I want to do that. And I remember <clears throat> she bowed her head and she prayed right there on the driveway and she received Christ that night. And I'm going to tell you, I'll never forget that. You know, just a few months after that, she, she was in eternity. And God was showing me something that we, what, what people need to see in us is grace 
is love. We need to meet people where they are at. We don't need to try to bring them to where we are at. We need to go to where they are. That's what Jesus did, right? Am I not mistaken? He left heaven's glory and he came down here to seek and to save that which is lost. And I'm telling you, we've got to get our heads out of the sand. And these days, oh, people are fearful. And if we were to be bold and filled with the Spirit, oh, we would have never, uh, we would never want for an audience to share the gospel with someone right now. But we got to wake up. Jesus stoops down and he writes in the sand. But I want you to see not only the trap that they were trying to set, the conspirators were setting this trap, but I want you to see, secondly, the convicting truth. So Jesus is, he hasn't responded. He's just riding in the dirt. They're, they're asking over and over. So finally, he responds in verse number seven. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is, who is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her first. The convicting truth. Jesus says, "Those with, he who is here without sin, cast the first stone. It was part of the law. The law required that the accusers of one would be the first to cast the stones. And so, Jesus, he is not cornered. Of course, you cannot corner Jesus. You cannot trip up. God. And so he gives the right answer in the right manner. And then the Bible says he goes back to writing in the dirt. You see, I've learned this. When you get the truth out, you don't have to defend the truth. Just get the truth out and God's going to do what he can do with that. And I'm telling you, we aren't responsible for how people respond. But you know what we are responsible for? You know what he has commissioned the church to do? To get the truth out. To get the gospel out. To be the pillar and ground of truth in this day that is permeated with lies and all the other things that the enemy is trying to blind the minds of those who are lost. Do you all understand that in the scheme of eternity, uh, all that we're seeing play out in the world, it is only uh, tending towards this truth that eternity is coming, that life is short, that there's a heaven and there's a hell, that, and I'm telling you there's a devil that is trying to blind the minds of those who are lost, and it is our job to go out with the good news and share with those who will hear. And Jesus put the truth out. And I want you to see these men were, they were convicted. You see, Jesus, he wasn't asking for sinless men to judge this woman. I want, I want to be very clear with this. Um, the world has hijacked, you know, some Bible verses, taking them out of context and saying we shouldn't judge. But the truth is we should judge. We should judge righteously, though. We should first judge ourselves. These men were hip- hypocrites. They were sinners. They were far from God. They didn't know God. They claimed to know God. And they were too guilty, probably, of adultery. They probably, in, in probably some of them in action and also in their thought life. And, and so Jesus knew the hypocrisy of these leaders and how they were passing judgment on this woman. But he's going to turn the tables on them. He's going to judge the judges. And I'm telling you, we as a church, we need to stop trying to judge the world. We need to start at the house of God. I'm telling you, when God comes back, He's gonna, He's not gonna start out in the White House. He's not gonna start up in Sacramento. He's gonna come to the church house. And I know this to be the fact, because in this church, in this church, every sin that we see in the world is still, uh, is still active. Pray with the person today who adultery happened in the marriage. I'm telling you, the church has gotten away from holiness. And so, I want you to understand, none of us in here can condemn anyone. And these religious leaders were in the same position. They were not in any position to judge. Not that we have to be perfect to judge. I want you to understand, if, if perfection were the, were the standard, then none of us would be. There would be no judges on any bench within this United States of America, there'd be no pastors in any pulpit. There would be, I'm not saying perfection. I'm not preaching that. That's not reasonable. Uh, if you aren't struggling with something in here today, I want to talk to you afterwards because I need to learn from you. I, I, I mean, all of us have things that easily beset us, but I'm telling you, the desire in our heart should be to, to flee from it. So they're trying to get Jesus in the corner to condemn this woman. But Jesus turns the tables on them. 
they were convicted. Now, in verse number 9, it says, Those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. So these men were all under conviction as they thought about this. As, as they heard the words of Jesus, the truth. And I find it to be very telling. The oldest went out, and then it seemed like in succession, the oldest to the youngest. And you know what? I, I'm learning this, that we don't get better with age. <laughs> we don't. We get less patient. We, I mean, we don't get better with age. And I think the reason why the oldest in this group were leaving because they had more sin in their track record. <laughs> they had more years of failure on their uh, docket. They had more experience with this than the younger. And I, I can speak to this because, you know, in my 20s, I was more rigid. I talked about this, you know, just uh, critical and all these things. But you know what has made the difference? The feeling of the Spirit and also failure. Me needing grace. Had to apologize to someone in the church this week. Dropping the ball on something. I'm telling you, we, you know, had to apologize to my wife several times this week. The kids, have any of you guys been there? You had to drink that humble juice, you know, and just say, kids, I'm sorry. Uh, daddy was on edge. I, I shouldn't have said it that way. I should have been patient. I should have put the phone down and listened to what you were saying. And I'm telling you, how many of us can say it from experience that, hey, I failed so much and God's extended me so much grace that I need to be extending grace to people. Paul said it at the beginning of his ministry that he was the least of the apostles. But towards the end of his life, he said, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. What happened? I think Paul had experienced more of God and more of his failure too. Remember when he got it wrong with, with Mark? I think he got it wrong. And Barnabas took Mark with him and he split with Barnabas. And, um, you know, Paul was, he said, Oh, wretched man that I am. He, he, he knew what it was to fail, even though the power of God was on that man. I'm learning this. The best of men are men at best. Don't put anybody on a pedestal. I'm only up here today by, by the grace of God. And I'm going to fail. And I'm going to need grace. I'm going to need grace from some of you. You know, and I'm, I'm telling you, this is, the problem today, we've, we've got this celebrity culture in churches, and, but we're seeing them fall one by one. Because no man deserves to be elevated. The only man that deserves to be ele- elevated, he's sitting on the throne in heaven. It's the man Christ Jesus. That's it. No man. We can't handle it. And uh, it just goes to our head and there's, it's never good. These men were convicted. They were aware of that they were under sin, just like this woman. And we all are under sin. The Bible says, for there is none that is righteous. No, not one. None of us will stand before God and say, you know what? I am good enough. How many people have you met and you've told them the, the, the bad news so you can tell them the good news that we're all sinners? <laughs> but there's good news. And they've said to you, oh, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. <laughs> oh, I, I, I think my good is going to outweigh my bad. And, I, and the truth is, we know that's not the truth. And we've all, everyone in this room, you did enough yesterday to condemn you to hell. Because the Bible says if you offend the law in one area, then you're guilty of all of it. How many times do you have to lie to be a liar? How many times do you have to steal to be a thief? truth is the law, the purpose of the law is to draw us to grace. We are all sinners. There was a, yesterday we had the food ministry and I was sitting talking with a man who's been coming for a while and really love this guy, just a sweet spirit, older gentleman who's 
just on fire for the Lord. And we began to talk, and he began to share his testimony. He, he opened up to me. He said, i got to tell you something. <laughs> I said, what is it? He's like, you know what? My dad was in the KKK. I was raised in that. <laughs> but God has radically changed my life. And we're sitting like this far apart, just talking, you know, just chopping it up and have on several occasions. And I love him, and I know he loves me. He tries to encourage me every time he sees me. The grace of God. The grace of God. And he's been transformed by it. And I just want to encourage you guys all to realize, yes, we're under sin, but we're sin to the bound. Grace much more abounded. There's grace. Jesus was full of grace and truth. He didn't contradict the truth, but he was filled with grace. I love that illustration of him. But I want you to see not only was the convicting truth that all were under sin, but I want you to see all are in need of a Savior. Because we are under sin, we need a Savior. We need someone to save us from our sin. Hey, the biggest problem you have and I have is our sin problem. And there's only one who can pay for that. There's only one who has paid for that. And it's Jesus. I want you to see what Jesus does with this woman. Verse number 10, he says, When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. I want you to notice this, though. See, there is an order here that is important to note. You see, we who study the Bible, we don't believe in the doctrine of universalism. We don't believe that every person is going to go to heaven because the Bible does not teach that. Actually, the Bible says that wide is the road to destruction and narrow is the way to life. And there are few that go thereby. There are more people, sadly, who will be in hell than are in heaven. And we... We mourn and we weep and, and we pray for sinners all the time here. And a lady, you know, in the prayer room praying for her lost son and just, just it's, it's a reality. You know, we don't want to dumb down the message because we truly know that the truth has to go for for people to come to repentance. But we don't believe in universalism. Not everybody's going to heaven. And Jesus, he asked this question. It's a timely question. You see, he doesn't say, I don't condemn, neither do I condemn you, before he asked this question. And questions always get to the heart of the matter. You, Jesus used questions to, to get to the heart, to hear people share with them where their heart was. And so he asked her, where are your accusers? And she says, uh, there's no one, Lord, who condemns me. And she says, I want you to notice that, verse 11. She says, no one Lord. You know, I, I've read this a hundred times, but for some reason, I, I, I don't remember that statement when she said, no one Lord. I want you to understand, for her to call Jesus Lord, that was a major deal. She being a Jew, she would have known the, the law. You would have not said something so blasphemous to a man who was 30, 31, but you're calling him Lord. You're calling him God. You see, something took place in her heart. She had came to faith. Maybe in the process of these men leaving out and her realizing the grace of God, that she wasn't being hit with stones. Or whatever it was that day, the grace by which Jesus, maybe it was what he wrote in the sand. Maybe he was writing her a message. Remember, they threw her right in the sand, in the dirt. I don't know, but there's something that took place in her heart. And it's the most important thing that could take place in any heart of any person. And she had come to believe that Jesus was Lord. And there is no one who will be in heaven that does not confess Jesus as Lord. I want you to understand this was significant. When she said to him, Lord, then Jesus, when she met that prerequisite, was able to say to her, neither do I condemn you. And I want to encourage you this morning. Keep praying for those in your life who have yet to call Jesus Lord. 
Because he's still seeking to save it. He's still seeking to save. He's still gonna draw, I believe it, that he is, he is not willing that any should perish. He is still in the saving business. And these were the sweetest words that she would ever hear. And I bet right now, as she's in heaven, she still can hear those words ringing true. Neither do I condemn you. And I don't know about you, but it still moves me to tears when I think about my life and how much grace he's extended to me and the fact that I'm not condemned, but I have the privilege to serve him. And I got the privilege to to serve the body of Christ. And I have the privilege to stand up here and preach the glorious, powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he hasn't condemned me. He didn't condemn her. Because she believed. The Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Have you already believed on Christ this morning? Well, his promise still rings true. He always keeps his promises. And you're not condemned. You have eternal life. Not that you'll receive it when you die. You have it right now. You have eternal life. Oh, you want to know why I don't fear death? And there's times in my life where I long for heaven, you know, because by the grace of God, I have the assurance through his spirit that I will be in his presence when I take my last breath this side of eternity. I was in Target this week and I ran into the widow of, of a friend of mine, um, John Tanner. And uh, John and I were good friends in seminary. He liked what I liked, the Broncos and basketball <laughs> and bus kids. That's, that's, that's alliterate. Alliterated. He was a bus captain. I was a bus captain. We, we, we'd go out on the weekends and we'd knock on doors and we'd get kids to come to church to hear this message, to hear about Jesus. And we loved it. And he had the earlier bus routes. So sometimes I'd come on his and, and, and he'd come on mine in the afternoon from time to time. You know, there's a season when uh, my car was broke down in seminary and I was so broke I couldn't fix it. And he'd pick me up for work. He'd take me to school. We became really close. And, he was dating Jesse, and uh, he knew he wanted to marry her, and he was telling me he was saving up that money to get the engagement ring. And, and uh, I remember the day when he said, I got enough. He's like, hey, after work, do you want to come with me as I purchase it? And I said, sure. You know, I'd love to be there. So I was there when he purchased the engagement ring. I proposed, He proposed, got married. Um, God led him into law enforcement, CHP, to be specific. And they were married for maybe three years, and he started to have pain in his knees. And it started to creep up to his back, and they could, doctors couldn't figure it out. So they found out he had a cancer somewhere in his bone marrow, I believe. And um, pretty soon he couldn't walk, and, um, you know, Jesse was pregnant with their third child when he went into heaven, when he went to heaven and and I was just reminded, you know, as I ran into her, just once again of the brevity of life. And I have people in my phone that were here just a few years ago who are no longer here. And I often come here because I want to, I want to be very clear of the urgency of the, res- the need to respond to the gospel today. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know when your last opportunity will be. And Jesus wants to save you. Don't put it off another moment. Come to Jesus today. I want you to see Jesus doesn't condemn this woman because of her faith in him. But I want you to see, neither does he condone sin. What does he say to her? The last thing he says to her here. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. He saved her, but he did not save us to a life of sin. I want you to understand that. And once you are saved, once you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, you have within you the ability through him, through God, to say no to sin. And I just want us to be very clear 
Uh, there is no one who is in Christ who has to live in a constant def- uh, cycle of defeat when it comes to sin. But I've learned this, that you must submit to God. You must be broken before God and not try to do it in your own strength. Like you would go to whatever the addiction may be or like you would go to whatever uh, other substance, I'm telling you, you have to replace that with Jesus. You have to become utterly dependent upon Jesus. You know, many men who say they struggle in certain areas, you know, we wonder and and we, we love them and we try to counsel them through it. But I find it very telling when we never see them at the prayer meeting. We never see them at the altar. We never see them. We see them once every three weeks. Are those individuals really serious about breaking the cycle of sin? I would say the indicators that we can see, we don't know anyone's heart, but the the indications that come from that type of approach does not beg to say that they are. You know, we, we don't just... I don't wake up and I don't want to come into this full fit and say what I said a moment ago about the prayer meeting. I don't want to do that, but but God is impressing that upon us because we know of the marriages falling apart. We know of the wives who are ready to leave. We know uh, of the, uh, the the addiction cycle that is ravaging homes. We know of these things within this church, and these many of these people aren't pressing into God. They're pressing into their sin, but they're not pressing into the Savior. And I want us to see Jesus gives her a clear warning here. Go and sin no more. Do not go back to that. And we need to do what the Proverbs We don't need to return to the vomit like a dog returns. We need to learn to detest the sin of, in our lives. I don't have a problem hating the sin in other people's lives. <laughs> do you? <laughs> I don't. Neither do you. <laughs> But I have a problem when it comes to whatever sin I'm struggling with. But there has to be a breaking of that. Oh man, the gospel is is great news, right? That Jesus wants to save any who come to him in faith. And I just want to put that out today. If you're here without Christ, you can come to him today. You can receive him as your Lord and Savior today. The Bible is so clear that all it takes is faith. All it takes is to call on his name and that he will save you. This woman, she confessed him, right? She says, Lord. You know, I, the prayer doesn't have to be the, you don't have to pray the sinner's prayer. It's not some specific prayer. It's the heart. If you just say, Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. You don't think you'll hear that? <laughs> you don't think, oh, that's not theological. I come from a place where you say, oh, you got to go through this. You got to go through this, this, and this. And you got to make sure they pray, pray a theologically sound prayer. Absolutely not. You go to Jesus and say, Lord, save me. He'll save you this morning. If you're a Christian and you're living in sin, you're the most miserable person in the world, one of them. I'm sure of it from experience. You see, the backslidden Christian, <laughs> you have nowhere to turn. Because when you're in your sin, you don't have peace there because the Holy Spirit's convicting you, hopefully. If he isn't, then you probably aren't a Christian. And you know, you, if you turn to God, you've got to get rid of that. So it's, it's uncomfortable. But I'm telling you, I want to speak to some of you. What Jesus said still rings true. Go and sin no more. Turn away from it. Maybe you need to come to the altar today and lay down that sin that you know is tripping you up and don't leave it there and don't look back. You know, many of us, we take our sin and we bury it in a shallow grave and we mark the grave site so we can come back next week. Don't we? I'm just being honest. And we've talked to men in this church, and we say, do the drastic thing. Throw that smartphone. You're not, you know, you, you cannot handle it. Break it. Go back to the flip phone. 
Turn in your laptop to your wife. Get the software on there. Uh, you can't, you aren't able to, to stand in your own two yet. You, it's going to take some time and you do the drastic thing so you can go and sin no more. And I just want to encourage you this morning. If you're in a cycle of failing and sin, oh, do the drastic thing. Whatever the Lord puts on your heart, you do that. You kill sin in your life or sin will be killing you. I'm telling you, when you do that, the joy will return. The desire to worship will return. The communion, the sweet fellowship with Jesus will come back. Oh, there's nothing that compares to it. Like we sang this morning, show us your glory, your presence. Oh my goodness, like, there's nothing like his presence. This is what we want to encourage you. Jesus was not soft on sin. Neither did he contradict the law. But he loved sinners. I'm thankful for that this morning. If you need Christ this morning, don't hesitate. Come to him. Some of us need to go to the altar today, leave the sin there. Don't look back. Just pursue Christ. Go and sin no more. I promise you the joy. What did David say when he repented in Psalm 51? He said, return to me the joy of my salvation. Remember, he was in a, it was affecting his physical health when he was away from God. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to keep preaching, but I'm going to tell you this. There are those in the church who are sickly because of sin. Not only is it affecting you spiritually, but physically. And you've got to forsake it. You know, ultimately, you know, I think my grandfather, my mom's mom, dad, excuse me, he died of cirrhosis of the liver. Um, alcoholic all his life and died from that. Um, my grandfather on my dad's side, he's an alcoholic, I believe, still, too. Um, sin has real impact in your life, physically and spiritually. So I just, I just feel led to just encourage, just to say, hey, we love you here. We're for you. We're behind you. But you've got to be willing to, to, to come to Jesus and turn away from whatever it is that's stripping you up. 